Heavenly Father, our gracious God, we come to you weary, needy, many of us broken-hearted, many of us struggling this morning. So we ask you, Lord, that you would meet with us in the preaching of your word. Open the eyes of our hearts. Help us behold Christ and who we are in him. Nourish and strengthen us for your name's sake and by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to give you a word and I want you to hold on to the first thought that comes into your mind when I say this word. The word is worship. Worship. And what do you think of when I say worship? Uh, depending on what background you're from, a lot of different things might have run through your mind. Uh, some of you immediately think of music and singing. Others of you might have thought of this worship gathering of this room, Main Hall 1, where you're gathered with the saints and where we are hearing God's word preached and seeking him in prayer and singing together, lifting up our voices together. Or maybe you had some other, other ideas come to mind. Well, this morning we're going to look at uh, an idea concerning worship that's actually going to expand the ways we think about worship in our lives. And we're going to see that in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1 and following. I'm actually going to begin reading for you to give you the context since we left off Hebrews for a few months now at chapter 12 and verse 28. So hear the word of God. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. We're coming now towards the end of this beautiful letter called Hebrews. And as I told you, Hebrews was originally a sermon. This was a sermon preached by a concerned pastor to a congregation of Jewish Christians. They'd come from a Jewish background, come to faith in Christ who had grown weary and sluggish in their faith. Uh, they had grown weary because of the various trials they were facing. They were constantly under persecution. Some of their members had been thrown into prison. And in the midst of those trials, they'd begun to lose hope. And some of them were tempted to turn back to the old covenant. You see, if they went back to being Jews, they wouldn't face these kind of trials and afflictions. They wouldn't face the kind of persecution that they were facing. And so they were tempted to abandon their faith in Christ and go back to their Jewish way of life. And the author preaches this sermon to tell them, no way. In fact, he reminds them, I told you all of Hebrews, you could summarize in three words, that Jesus is better. He reminds them that in Christ we have a better high priest. The perfect, spotless high priest, Jesus Christ himself who has offered a better sacrifice. He has offered himself as the perfect sacrifice. 
He has entered a better sanctuary. He has entered into heaven itself where he makes intercession for us. He has inaugurated a new and better covenant. And in him we have the forgiveness of sins. And through him we can draw near to God. Jesus is better. So don't let anything take you away from him. And he's reminded us in chapter 12 that as we come to Jesus, as we come through faith in Christ, as we gather in his name, we enter a heavenly assembly in the presence of God himself on Mount Zion, where we meet with God in the presence of many angels. That's what's happening in this room right now. We may not realize it, but through our mediator, Jesus Christ, we have come into God's very presence. And therefore, we ought to offer worship that is acceptable to him in the name of Christ, according to his word, glorifying him. But you see, that worship doesn't end here. That worship, our worship, doesn't end with this gathering. It doesn't end when the pastor pronounces the benediction and we all go out and back into our lives all week. No, the acceptable worship that we offer to God as Christians certainly begins here with our corporate worship as a church. It certainly has its heart and life in our congregational gathering for worship. But then it ripples out into all of life. You see, for the believer in Christ, all of life is worship. And everything we do must be rendered in service to God in a manner that is acceptable according to his word. You see, what our author is doing now in his sermon is he's moving, as any good preacher will do, from exposition to encouragement and exhortation. He's going from doctrine to duty. He says, this is the truth of what we believe. This then now is how you must live. Now, as someone who's been preaching for a while now, uh, I recognize that often you're running out of time in a sermon. That happens to me a lot. And then as you run out of time, you begin to, in your own mind, go through all the different things you want to say to these people before they go home. Sometimes forgetting that, oh, I have next week and we can keep talking about this. And so then you have this long list of things and maybe you've heard preachers do this. You know, okay, at the end of the sermon, you're thinking, okay, it's been going 45 minutes now. We've got five minutes left, hopefully. And then he says, and I have nine things to tell you, nine applications before you go. That's what the author of Hebrews does here as he comes to chapter 13. He's winding up his sermon and he wants to give us a whole bullet point list of ways that the truths that we see in Hebrews apply to our lives. Acceptable worship begins in our gathering and extends into all of life. God's word gathers us, and as we go out, we live out that word. Our worship continues. So all that he gives us in chapter 13 defines what it means to offer a life of acceptable worship to God. And it pertains especially to how we live our lives together as Christians, how we live the Christian life with one another. So today we're going to see three marks of acceptable worship. Three marks of acceptable worship, specifically acceptable worship in community, in Christian community. And the first mark is brotherly love. Brotherly love. Look again at verse 1. 
the author says, let brotherly love continue. Remember the context. Remember what he's just said. Look, skip up to verse 28. Let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Let brotherly love continue. Brothers and sisters, our acceptable worship, our life lived in worship to God, begins with brotherly love. And if you look at the original there, the the way that it comes across, the, the, the translation really has a force. In other words, the author is saying brotherly love must continue. If you look at the NIV, the old NIV translation, he basically says, keep on loving each other as brothers. Keep on loving each other as brothers. And again, love is one of those words that can be understood in different ways. And we all get these different ideas when we speak of love, the world has all kinds of crazy ideas when they talk about love. In this world, to speak of love simply means that you affirm a person no matter what they're doing. That would be false. That's not biblical. And what the author is speaking of when he speaks of brotherly love, he's speaking of that special love that we enjoy and share with one another as children of God and as brothers and sisters in Christ. He's talking about Christian love. You see, all of us come into this world sinners with our hearts fixed on ourselves and our own desires. We come into this world as enemies of God and as enemies of one another. But God has made us His children in Christ. God the Son came, our Lord Jesus Christ. He loved us in such a way that He died to save us from our sins. And then by repentance and faith in Him, we receive the forgiveness of sins. And His love is poured into our hearts. We become a part of His family. Friends, this brotherly love is a bond of affection that only the Lord can give. And He gives it to us in Christ. We don't create this brotherly love. We don't try to manufacture it within ourselves. No, we enjoy this brotherly love as that which we receive in Christ. And we are responsible, as the author tells us here, to maintain this brotherly love. God gives it, and we must, by His grace and by His power, strive hard to keep it. We are to live, in other words, as if our fellow believers are family. And we are to love one another like family, because that's what we really are. So take a moment, look around the room. Just look around the room for a moment. These really are your brothers and sisters. You share an eternal spiritual bond with the people in this room more than you can ever imagine. And this brotherly love is a mark of Christianity. It's a mark of what it means to be a Christian, dear friends. You know, a lot of people have different marks or symbols over the years that they use to indicate that they are followers of Christ. Like the most common one all of you know, common mark of people trying to show that they're a Christian is a cross. You might have a cross around your neck this morning. Uh, other people will sometimes use the, the good old fish right on the car. Sometimes people want to be more explicit. They wear on a t-shirt saying Jesus saves or something like that. But the fundamental biblical mark of being believers in Christ 
of belonging to God is brotherly love. 1 John chapter 3, verse 14, the Apostle John says, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Jesus says in John chapter 13, after washing his disciples' feet, By this all men will know that you are my disciples by how you love one another. And I've seen demonstrations of that truth in the life of our church. Uh, I know of uh, two Muslim friends of mine who have often visited ECC and they've come to our congregational prayer and potluck meeting. They were at a wedding of another brother and sister last year that we celebrated at ECC. And just as they saw the love between the people, the members of this church, you know, they've remarked to me as Muslims, we've never seen this anywhere. We've never seen such gatherings filled with love, people serving each other in this way. The author reminds us this morning, brotherly love must continue. Let brotherly love continue. And again, you've got to think of the context of Hebrews. Trials, difficulties can erode and shake up this brotherly love. You know, one author tells the story of churches in Eastern Europe who suffered under communism. Uh, these believers were under constant persecution and affliction because of the communist government. And sometimes the Lord uses trials to grow our faith. Sometimes trials make us stronger and bond us even further together. Sometimes under the force of affliction and trial, your love can grow cold, both towards God and especially towards one another. That's what happened in Eastern Europe. A lot of them grew very rigid, cold in their love. That's what was happening to the church uh, that the author is preaching to in, in the letter to the Hebrews. Under the weight of persecution and affliction, their love had begun to grow cold. Some of them had left off attending church altogether. Others, like I said, were beginning to think about going back to Judaism. They had begun really well, caring for one another in their affliction. But now the trials that shook them up had scattered them and weakened this love. And so the author reminds them, no, keep on loving each other. Well, brothers and sisters, we have been through a great trial this past week. It's in fact one of the greatest trials that any church can go through. I've been studying ECC's history for the last 50 years. It would be one of the greatest trials this congregation has faced in 50 years of our history. And isn't the Lord, isn't just a sign of how merciful and loving and kind and gracious our God is, that in his wise providence and love for us, that he would place this verse here as the first verse you hear after this trial, this Sunday. This sermon series was planned long ago. That the Lord kindly reminds us this morning, let brotherly love continue. And I want to commend the members of this church. I want to commend so many of you, brothers and sisters. I have been absolutely overwhelmed by the godly grief that I've seen this past week, by the love, the grace, the unity of this church in the midst of this storm, the trust that you've shown us as elders, by the many expressions of sympathy 
and love and trust, I've been overwhelmed and thankful. God is at work. You know, I'm reminded of our ECC covenant, what we've committed to one another, that we will walk together in brotherly love by caring for one another, bearing each other's burdens, and praying for each other. What a good reminder to us after the events of last week. So let's continue, brothers and sisters. Let's keep on. Let all that has happened push us deeper into each other's lives. Let's learn to be a community where we are open with one another, where we share our struggles with each other and ask for one another to pray, where we show our hearts to each other. Let's strive to be a community where we move towards each other, seek to learn about others. <clears throat> Try to understand each other on a heart level. Ask people questions after this service even. Ask them questions. How's the week been for you? What has the Lord been teaching you lately? Where are you struggling? Where are you suffering? How did today's sermon challenge or encourage you? Have you been struggling that, with anything that I can pray for? Learn to encourage each other. Talk to one another of how you're encouraged by someone's joy in the midst of their trials. Share with each other of how you're encouraged by their singing in the gathered assembly. Point out evidences of grace of those who serve faithfully week after week in different ways. Talk to someone of how their example challenges you and spurs you on to greater faithfulness. Ask each other, how is your heart doing? <clears throat> Friends, in, in a community of faith, as those who have committed to each other in Christ, we should be able to openly talk about our suffering and our sin. That should be natural and we should seek each other's help. Now, one uh, great help in this regard is a book called Side by Side, uh, the women's ministry. Our women will be studying that this term. I encourage many of our sisters to go be a part of that study and learn together how to care for one another. I encourage you to pick up a copy of the book in the bookstore and read it. It's small, easy read. Friends, because of Jesus' perfect sacrifice, because he offered up himself, and by his blood cleansed us from sin. He has made us his family. We are children of God. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And that means loving one another. Every member, as one person exhorted his congregation, every member of this church ought to be able to testify, I love my brethren and I have been loved by my brethren. Everyone ought to be able to give that testimony. Brotherly love must continue. But you see, our love must be expressed in concrete actions. And here is where the author of Hebrews provides us two examples of that kind of love. And that leads to our second mark of acceptable worship in Christian community. The first mark is brotherly love. The second mark is gracious hospitality. Gracious hospitality. Verse 2, the author says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. You've got to think of the context again of the ancient world. In the ancient world, you had a lot of believers who were traveling. Uh, some of them who were traveling for the purpose of ministry to preach God's word. And the inns in the ancient world were some of the most deplorable places on planet Earth. If you tried to stay in an inn, it was likely that you would be robbed. You would be cheated. Those places were infested with fleas. And you'd be bitten by fleas. 
Many of them kind of doubled up as brothels, so you would be exposed to immorality. And so it's very important for believers to be able to show hospitality in these ways to other believers who are passing through. It's a mark of Christian love. And we were great recipients of this uh, this summer in California when we visited there. Uh, we had a dear brother and sister, a former Navy veteran, give us a car for the whole summer. They were so kind. And then we wanted to visit this town called Monterey. I wanted to take the children for some family time together. So I just wrote an email to a brother pastor that I know there. And I didn't have any expectations. I just said, hey, give me a couple of things that would be great to do for a day or two in Monterey. Well, a few minutes later, I got back an email saying, this person is going to take care of you for whale watching. This person in the church owns a crepe shop by the bay. He's going to make you crepes. And this couple is going to host you in their home. Uh, they'll be happy to have you. And we were so blessed as we went there and met these believers, some of whom we'd never met in our whole lives. We stayed in the home of an African-American couple who just cared for us and loved us so much. Uh, we met a former Hells Angel biker who had come to faith in Christ. He's a Frenchman who makes the best crepes I've ever eaten. And he brought crepes out to us when we were going whale watching with someone else organized. So blessed. That's gracious hospitality. You know, I'm reminded of an example of this in our own church, Phil and Julie Fisher, who have welcomed so many into their home to stay for extended periods of time. You know, we show brotherly love not only to those whom we know, but we are called to show brotherly love to those whom we don't know in the name of Christ, to other Christians who are passing through. There are other passages in the New Testament that exhort us to show this within the church, hospitality within the church. This one exhorts us to show it to those who are from outside the church. And he says, some have entertained angels unaware. He's not saying, you know, if you're lucky enough, you might just have an angel visit you without you knowing. That's not what he's saying. No, he's thinking of Genesis 18, when Abraham and Sarah welcomed these angels who came and visited them without even realizing it. And one of them was the Lord himself visiting and what he's showing us in that regard is that the Lord places a great premium on hospitality. The Lord values this. He wants us to do this. He wants us to give of ourselves, give of our time, our energy, our life, welcome people into our home. And so the question for you, brother or sister, this morning is, are you a hospitable person? Do you give time? Do you give of your energy? Do you welcome others into your life, into your home, to make them feel welcome? And we're not talking about something complicated and over the top, all right? You don't have to welcome people and give them a four-course meal, gourmet. It doesn't have to be fancy. Jesus says, you can give a cup of cold water in my name, and great will be your reward. Now, I think of when uh, I first joined seminary and we'd moved to a new city. We didn't know anybody. We visited this church. And uh, a single man in his 40s uh, came up to us. He was from the Bahamas. And he said, uh, you know, he asked me for my details. And later that week, he had welcomed like three couples, all of us first-time visitors at the church, to his home. He lived in kind of like a studio, almost barely one-bedroom apartment. And, you know, we were all sitting there. He had cooked for us a simple meal. And then after he cooked for us, he sat down and gave us some writings from the Puritans and led us in a time of devotion together. I'd never experienced such grace in my life before that. It's just simple, a cup of cold water in Jesus' name. And if you want to learn more about this, again, this is for the ladies. There is a women's event on September 9th 
where one of the most hospitable people I know, our sister Teresa, will be talking about hospitality. So make the most of that. Friends, hospitality is what acceptable worship looks like in the Christian life. And then there's one more mark of acceptable worship that our text gives us today. The first one was brotherly love. The second is gracious hospitality. The third is heartfelt remembrance. Heartfelt remembrance. Look at verse 3. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Again, some of the members of this church were in jail for their faith in Christ. And the congregation in times past had done well with this. You think of chapter 10, verse 34, the author told them, you had compassion on those in prison. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you had a better possession, an abiding one. You see, in the first century, prisoners had no means of survival apart from the visits of friends who brought them food and water and clothing. And sometimes that means being exposed to public shame. You know, you're going to the prison to visit this prisoner. You're associated with them. We don't face these kinds of things here. We live in a very tolerant nation. We are thankful for that. But we must not forget, brethren. We must always be reminded that we are a persecuted people all around the world. That we are a suffering people. This is God's portion for us. That in the last hour while we've been here, a brother or sister in Christ somewhere in the world has been put to death because of their love for Jesus. There are Christians, your brothers and sisters right now, who are dying because of their faith in Christ, because they have shared the gospel with others. We ought to remember these. We ought to learn about them. We ought to pray for them. Stand with them. And I know it's also some of you in this room. You may not go to prison, but you face great rejection from family, from friends, hostility at work. Brothers, let's care for those who are persecuted, who are suffering. This was a great mark of the early church, how they loved one another in the midst of persecution. There's an amazing story of this in the history of the church in this nation in Dubai many years ago. There was an Englishman named Ray Amy, who was a member of our sister congregation, the Evangelical Christian Church of Dubai. He went out to the docks to give out Farsi New Testaments to the Persian sailors over there. And by chance, he was caught and arrested. He approached a plainclothes policeman without realizing it. And he was in prison for eight weeks. In those eight weeks, he received 700 letters from the members of ECCD. All the prison staff were working overtime reading these letters because they have to read all the mail before it goes to prisoners. He received so many visitors that they were wondering, who is this guy? Is he some kind of celebrity? When they drove him from the prison to the airport to repatriate, they saw a whole crowd of people gathered there. And they asked, what are you all doing here? And one person told the guard, this man is our brother and we've come to say goodbye. I wonder if someone were arrested in our congregation for sharing the gospel, how would we respond? Friends, we ought to remember with compassion those who are persecuted for the name of Christ. So those are three marks of acceptable worship in Christian community. Brotherly love, gracious hospitality, and this heartfelt remembrance of those who are suffering and are mistreated. 
And the big question for us is, why do we love and live like this? Why do we as believers love others and live like this, love one another in these ways? Well, the answer is because of Christ. We were orphans, lost, enemies to God, enemies to one another, without hope in this world. Many of us without anything in this world, without any relationships to speak of. And Christ loved us. He came and died for us. Hebrews 2 tells us he brought many sons to glory that we shared in flesh and blood. So he shared in our flesh and blood, made us children to God and brothers and sisters to himself and to one another. He showed us brotherly love. Why do we show gracious hospitality to others? Well, because we have been recipients of the most gracious hospitality, the hospitality of God himself, that we were not just strangers, but we were enemies. And he has been hospitable to us, welcoming us into his eternal family in Christ. Why do, we, why do we remember those who are suffering? Because Christ remembered us in our suffering, when we were suffering and sorrowful and bound in the chains of our sin. He came. He took on flesh and he died to save us and make us his own. You may, you may be here this morning and you have never trusted in this Christ. You still stand before God in your sins and you wonder this kind of love, how can I taste that? How can I experience that? Well, we want you to know that by God's grace, by turning from your sin and trusting in this Christ, you will have the forgiveness of your sin and you will be welcomed into an eternal family which is marked by brotherly love. Let brotherly love continue. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise and we thank you for all that you are unto us and all that you've done for us in Christ. And we pray, Lord God, that even as we come to your table, you would remind us of the bonds of brotherly love that we have with one another in you even through great trials and difficulties that we face as a congregation, that you would lead us and guide us and help us grow together in love and good deeds for your name's sake and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.